Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Happy Tuesday, lovely people. It is a special time of year, so me and Ellie have got a really special guest for you. And uh, she needs no introduction, but we have Annie Grace with us, which is just a wonderful thing for this podcast. And for any of you that have been tuning in for a while, you will know the just the hugely instrumental well, just the impact that Annie has had on this podcast, both in both in how me and Ellie have trained in her coach training, but also how her books have influenced us, and I'm sure many of you listening. And she's such um, a wonderful person. She's so warm. She's such a friendly face behind this naked mind. And it's really rare, I think, to come across somebody who is trying to reach so many people and just at the same time just working so much on their own personal development and she often says, you know, often things grow as fast as their creators grow. And, and, and hopefully me and Elia are continuing to, we're really trying to push ourselves and develop. And a lot of that is down to Annie and just her kind of relationship with abundance mindset and how she embodies that. And, and on this podcast, we really wanted Annie to have, well, actually, we <laughs> because we're really, really interested, we wanted Annie to talk about a few things um, that are different to, to alcohol. Annie can talk expertly about alcohol. Her books are incredible about on, on this topic. And I'm sure many of you will have tuned in and heard her doing that. But we really wanted to know about abundance mindset, about leaning into faith over doubt, loads of really cool things on this podcast that are just a little bit different. So it's a different conversation with an amazing person. And we're so, so happy that uh, that Annie agreed to come and do this with us because she's just such a star. So look, there couldn't be a better time for this podcast to be launching. If you're listening to it at the time it came out, then the January live alcohol experiment is just about to launch. And this is just such a wonderful space for you to go and explore just what is happening in in the world of this naked mind and this wonderful thing that Annie has like brought into um, the the alcohol free space and kind of like what and even that it's just an experiment it's such a wonderful place where if you don't know what you want to happen if you but you but you do recognize that something needs to change in your relationship with alcohol and this is a wonderful safe space to uh, to explore that with a wonderful group of people who are supportive and the fact that Annie's behind this feeding the energy into it is just uh, it just makes it a gift for all of us so without further ado, I'll stop uh, chatting away and uh, I'll hand over to us on the podcast. See you there. Happy Tuesday, team. This is this is a pretty cool one. We've got the one and only Annie Grace with us, which is very, very exciting. And, you know, so many of you will know this naked mind. It's part of everything me and Ellie do. Um, but we are so excited to have, you know, the person behind the movement with us. So Annie, welcome. You're, it's just amazing to have you here. Oh, it's so fun to be here. Thanks for having me awesome it's, it's super exciting so we're, we're right in the middle of this series of our most inspirational and influential teachers and so we've had a bunch of people on and uh it's great to have you here Annie because you've been such a big part of both of our journeys I, I was journaling at the weekend and one of the things that I wrote down was like I could not have believed where I would be now and where we would be and what we're doing now it's you know it's phenomenal and it's in large part because of your teachings and there are two standout things when I think about 
the last 18 months, two years, the, the, the two standout things are number one, growth mindset, which for me uh, feels comfortable to a degree because so I have this value of development. So constantly pushing to grow. But what I've really learned from you is how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So that's that, that I think is a really interesting thing. And I think it's highly teachable. But the thing that I think is more fascinating, the other teaching is about abundance mindset. Mm. And again, I think it's teachable to a degree. But the thing that I think is really unique about you, Annie, is how you embody abundance. And so whatever touch point I've had with you, it's it's like it's at your very core, it's your essence. And so that's where we'd really like to we'd really like to delve into that and really understand more about it, where it comes from and how it feels from your perspective. Oh, that's so cool to hear. Wow, I, I'm really flattered. That's that's just amazing. Um it's so interesting too, because I think we often think that, right? We look at somebody and we think, oh, wow, they were just born that way. I remember thinking that about my mom for so many years and my grandma, both. They're just both joyful, happy people. And when I was 19, I started struggling with anxiety and depression. And, you know, that really got worse with drinking and it went on for years and years and years. And I remember every time I'd hang out with them, just feeling like, well, they were just born that way. I was just born, you know, too task oriented to, you know, my mom was always hoping I would slow down and smell the roses, so to speak. And I would just see them. And then I remember this one conversation with my grandma, we were at her house in Cape Cod and I was just asking her, I was like, gosh, you've you've had like divorces. Like one of your, you know, husbands has died. Like, how do you manage to just always be so positive? And she pulled out these journals. And when I tell you that there were hundreds of these books that all look the same and they're all cataloged. And she showed me every day for the last 40 years, she had written something she was grateful for every day. And some days it was one sentence. Sometimes it was a paragraph every day. And she goes, I, I made myself this way because I wasn't before. And I want to tell you that because I think that that is so true for me with the abundance mindset. I grew up in a situation where um, it was a very privileged situation in some ways because it was by choice that my parents decided to live off the grid completely and you know, no running water, no electricity, basically back in the 1800s. But then I was going to Aspen High School, which is arguably the wealthiest zip code in the US. And so the people I remember on my, um, the year that we all turned 16, there was a set of twins and one of them got a black Range Rover and one of them got a white Range Rover. And I remember them just driving them around the high school parking lot. Right. And I of course couldn't get a car until I was more like 17 and had saved up my own money for $1,100 Subaru. That was <laughs> 200,000 miles. <laughs> Pretty cool, though. It was very cool. Um, but it was just one of those things where I feel like actually what was in my DNA from a relatively young age was actually a scarcity, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like I didn't have enough. Remembering, I remember this other time of, of wearing these um, overalls that I was super proud of that my mom had gotten from the thrift store. And I had the girl whose overalls they were come up to me and tell me as much that, you know, 
uh, how I was wearing her trash more or less. And, you know, just these little things. And so, so much of my journey has been to kind of go the opposite direction and especially my corporate life, you know, getting into creating financial stability for myself, saving fastidiously, making sure everything was taken care of, but it wasn't driven from a place of abundance. And I feel like that has been cultivated when I saw how much havoc it was wreaking on my psyche and on myself internally Mm -hmm. to be living from that place of scarcity. I actually have this um, thing that I've drawn for myself and I, I intend to either write about it or teach it at some point, but now's as good of time as any, but I basically have this, this from and to chart. And, you know, it's from scarcity to abundance, from blame to responsibility, from, um, from like expectations to gratitude. And so, and I, I know that my own, what I call animating energy. So the thing that I'm driven by or woken up by every single day can either be on the left side of this chart, which I call fossil fuels because they're, they create death, right? Like Hmm. they're corrosive. They can be explosive. If you're, if you're just driven like from significance to service, that's another one of the, I'm just trying to recall them off the top of my head, but these, these fuel that Yes, you can be super successful being driven with that type of energy. And I'd say my corporate life was exactly that. You know, I was driven from scarcity, competition, something to prove, being significant. And I was drinking two bottles of wine a night to handle that sort of fuel because that fuel was not helpful. And it was it was finite. And so I would crash and burn. You know, burnout is a real thing. But then you look at like, oh, well, what would like look, life look like? And we're so scared. We're so scared to actually move ourselves from that, that type of energy because that feels like what we're supposed to do into the type of energy that's hopeful and abundant and full of gratitude and full of service because it actually feels good. So we say, if it, how, how's it going to work? I can't, I can't feel good and be successful. That, those things, those things mm-hmm. don't go hand in hand, right? Like, no, you have to work hard or it can't feel good to not drink. That doesn't make sense. You have to be miserable if you're not drinking or, you know, all of these ideas. And so for me to move from scarcity into abundance, and I, I like that right side of the chart because I, I liken that to solar energy, right? So these are the things that you have hope. Guess what? It creates more hope. You have gratitude. Guess what? It creates more gratitude. You, you foster abundance. Guess what? It creates more abundance because you do it for other people. Other people do it for you. And like the cycle continues. And so they're renewable and they, you know, actually create, um, health in the person who's being fueled by that type of energy. And so I think that that was a very long-winded answer to say that I really appreciate you saying that you feel like it's in my essence, but I will tell you that that's because I have worked very hard to make that in my essence. And very specifically with scarcity, every time I feel scarcity, I actually force myself to recognize it and do something polar opposite. So for instance, I remember, you know, if I would see uh, like competition, for example, like I, there's all these apps popping up right now and and they're advertising for things that I've created like the snake in mind and the alcohol experiment. So if you, if you search for the alcohol experiment, somebody else's app will pop up. And I remember seeing that and just feeling such a punch in the gut, like, Oh man, like that doesn't feel good. Right. And then I recognize, I'm like, no, but I want this to feel good. So I was like, what, what is the exact opposite thing that I could do besides be upset about this? And I was like, 
I could be grateful that if I'm not reaching these people, someone else is, even if it's not, you know, our work, like this is an important conversation, no matter where people get help, right? The alcohol conversation. I could even write them an email and tell them how excited I am for what they've done and what they've achieved and how impressed I am with it. And it's amazing because even when you don't necessarily feel like it initially, when I've done that, and I've done it so many times where I see something that makes me feel, and then I go and I congratulate the person, right? Mm -hmm. Like I remember when um, my book was like number one for a long time, and then it got edged out of number one. I was like, what is this? What is this craziness? This cannot be happening. And, and I have this initial feeling, which is like, oh, and then I was like, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach out to that person and tell them how impressed I am. And, and genuinely, and then all of a sudden my feeling of scarcity disappears mm. because it, it's so anyway, I, I just pull the opposite every time I feel that locking down and that tightness feeling say, okay, how can I open my hands here? How can I lean into um, living how I really want to live? How can I use my intention to do the opposite thing? What would, what would be the opposite in, in terms of action of, you know, allowing that scarcity to creep in? So cool. I often say to people like sort of practice being the person you want to be. And then yeah. it becomes like, like an actor learning the lines. Cause this kind of, I don't, for me, like fake it till you make it doesn't quite resonate. I, I get it. But for me, it's like, if you practice, um, yeah, then you become that thing. Uh, and then like you say, Annie, it's really easy to see gratitude everywhere when you're feeling it. Like it's really easy to see positivity everywhere when you're in that space. Uh, and it's just a wonderful way to live. It's a really nice place to be, but it's a bit like launching a rocket. It takes a bit of effort at the beginning and then you keep it in orbit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. It was really funny. So uh, this is totally a tangential thing, but it just shows how malleable the brain is. So my husband and I went to visit, um, we have a, a consultant we use for our business and he lives in Austin, Texas, and they just moved to Texas. And the, the, the person I know best who lives in Texas, he says the word deal all the time, like deal. This is a real good deal, right? Like he's always saying this deal everything is a deal. And so we land in Austin airport and I tell Brian, my husband, I was like, you know what? We're in Texas. I'm going to squeeze deal into every single point of conversation I can until we leave here in four days. I'm going to see who notices, right? It took like three days for them to start noticing. They're like, what is the deal with you saying deal all the time? <laughs> and so I let them in on it. And then um, our business consultant, James, he goes, you know, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to stop. Like consciously I put effort into like, using the word deal all the time in four days, I come back home and my kids are like, mom, why are you saying? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, he's right. I can't stop. Like I've imprinted this on my brain, but it just goes to show you that four days of effort in just repatterning my language. That was three weeks ago. I'm still trying not, you'll probably, I'll probably do it in this podcast. I'm trying not to use the word deal all the time. Now. <laughs> it's just one of those things, right? But it's so amazing how malleable our brains are. It, oh God, it really is. It really is. And one of the things that we talk so much about in this podcast is about intention setting and being intentional, being deliberate, because, you know, like we, in, in your alcohol free journey, if you are not, deliberate then it's very easy like people will often wonder why they've uh they'll talk about taking a step back or going back to the beginning or and and it's and it's often because of 
not being intentional, not being deliberate, um, kind of being all in at the beginning, but not laying the foundation for where they're going in the future. So one of the big things that we talk about a lot is being deliberate and particularly with laying down new habits and, um, you know, uh, making that part of, you know, who, who you want to be. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think one of the, it's interesting with consciousness, right? Because it's like breathing where we don't think about it because we're just in it all the time. But the fascinating thing about consciousness intention is that we have it where other animals arguably don't. And because we have it, we can do and create so much more. Like we have an ability to create and choose rather than just live out the instincts that were bred into us, right? And so this is unique to human beings and we just so often overlook it. And I think, you know, one of the core things for me that I've realized is that it's conscious humans that create change. Like when we become conscious and when we go through, as you were saying at the very beginning, Ellie, the discomfort, of living outside of our comfort zones and realizing like, yeah, it's not comfortable to, it's not comfortable for me to write somebody who I've just five minutes ago felt like super jealous of because you have to do it in an authentic way. Mm. Otherwise it's just coming off really insulting almost. Right. So that's not comfortable. It's not comfortable for me to do these things, but what it creates over the long term is, is that level of intention of, I get to look around my life and say, yeah, you know, it's taken years to get here and I'm nowhere near close because this is a, this is one of these things that we start and it never ends of using our consciousness intentionally of choosing where we focus our attention and our intention and it, it never ends, but you can look around your life and be surprised and amazed because you realize that most of what is there now, you chose. You didn't happen into, you didn't accident into. Alcohol for me was very much a, well, a slipped in that big mud puddle. You know, there wasn't any consciousness in it. There wasn't a lot of intention in saying, what life do I want to create here? It was more like, hey, this helps. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you, world. I'll just go with what you think is right for me rather than what I think is right for me. Because by the way, it wasn't that I was choosing to do what I thought was wrong for me. It was that I had never even stopped to think that I had a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I never even stopped to realize like, wait, why am I doing this? And, and it wasn't until years later when I did that. And then when you start to do that with everything, it's like an onion layer by layer, you start to peel away and be like, oh my gosh, I can actually choose how to show up in this situation. I can actually choose to be nicer to this person who I don't really like. And guess what? Then they're nicer to me. And then I like them more. Wow. Hmm. What's that? Like you really realize that you are always constantly creating your experience through where you choose to put your attention. Yeah, exactly. It, it reminds me of your catchphrase, Sam. <laughs> so Sam's coined this catchphrase, ca- catchphrase, choose again, but we're now slightly worried that somebody's trademarked that. So we might have to put some kind of disclaimer. I mean, it's been created in a few different places, but it's, you know, it is crazy that we always, we sort of tell ourselves the story that like, oh, my day started crap. So now it's going to be a crap day. It's like, well, you, you can actually choose again. There's nothing stopping mm. you from rewriting your story at any point because ultimately we're generating this thing all the time and that backdrop of consciousness is so powerful because when you're in it 
then you you regain access to to that kind of like um the author piece of you that can write that and then all this wild stuff starts happening like uh, who knows it feels like life is changing with you right reticular activating system kicks in and you start seeing things everywhere and you're like is this me like is the whole world changing with me or like I know there's crazy stuff happens and however you want to see it, like whether you see it as, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever your connection to that magical thing that happens, the energy, like my journey through all the, you know, this naked mind, Danny, and the synchronicities I see on a weekly basis freak me out. I'm like, what has that actually happened? And I just take it as a message that I'm in alignment, becoming more and more moving into alignment with, you know, where I'm supposed to be. And that's one of the greatest gifts ever from being present to your life because you get that. And I never had that. I, th- I think that's that thing underneath when you sense like, damn, I meant to do something. I meant to do something with my life and I can't put my finger on it. Getting access to that personal power is just crazy and so much fun as well. Um, yeah. So much fun. I um, I like what you're saying. For I heard it said gosh, probably when I was 19 or 20 was the first time I heard this. And it was this idea that, you know, there's a song being played in, in creation, in our lives. And this song, our internal song, like the, the one that we were meant to sort of sing or join into, it is all about, it isn't about deciding if there's a song or not. It's about understanding if you're in tune or not. Mm. And, and I think that what you're talking about, a way to say that, an analogy-based way to say that is that we can recognize and realize, oh, I'm in tune right now. Yeah, and guess cool. what? Being in tune feels good. You know, operating from abundance feels good. Operating from gratitude feels good. Having, choosing hope, even when circumstances don't necessarily dictate hope. It feels good, you know, allowing that you're making up whatever outcome you're going to predict for yourself. And so if you're going to make up something you're going to worry about, or you're going to make up something you're going to be excited for, you're making it up both Mm -hmm. ways. You're making it up. You're inventing it. All that is, is right now. So you're inventing whatever it is, whether it's next month, next year, five years, if you're going to worry that you're on this path, or you're going to be excited you're on this path, it's all an invention. So why not choose the one that feels good? And then I think the more of your life you live in tune, you have more and more of that really good feeling. And it almost feels like a bass note, you know, you can Mm -hmm. kind of like just lean into it and just feel that, oh yeah, I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. And by the way, like you said, Sam, maybe you have to practice that a few times. Maybe it's I'm learning where I'm supposed to be, or I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be. And, and you're trying to find, you know, the, the baby step to get you into that place of just really existing where you actually look around and you say, yeah, you know, no matter what happens, I'm giving it my all and, and I'm, I'm doing it consciously. You know, I'm choosing consciously. I'm choosing again consciously. And I think that the more we can do that, the more we can use that part of our brain, that prefrontal cortex that arguably animals don't even really have developed, the more we can live in tune with, you know, who we are really supposed to be, which is obviously just such a good feeling. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's there's a big word for me this year around authenticity and it's it's that same thing it's that 
feeling aligned, feeling congruent. And uh, I think there are, there are so many different practices that can help with cultivating this, this sort of stuff. So one of the things that we talked about a little while ago was meta meditation. Mm. And, and that is something that, you know, I, I remember the first time I practiced it and it was over a very, very short space of time. It completely changed the way that I felt about another person completely. And just as you were describing with, you know, when the book gets knocked off the bestseller list and, and you, you have that, that feeling that you don't want to have, but to actively work against it with something that feels incredibly uncomfortable but as an experiment, what have I got to lose? I'm going to try this and I'm going to see how, how it feels and what the result is. And something like meta meditation can, in a very short space of time, can completely change the way that you feel. And it's, it's wild what then opens up to you. So it's, it, it, within this podcast, we share a lot of different tactics and tools and things that people can try because it can completely change your world. I uh, love this analogy and it's called switch versus seed. And basically the idea is that the human beings, we're looking to change how we feel. We, everything we do arguably is to feel a certain way. You know, even if it's running a marathon or if it's giving to charity and we can say, oh, we're doing that for someone else. Well, part of it is also because it makes us feel a certain way, right? Like part of my abundant <laughs> mindset is because I like how I feel better when I'm living in that way. Right. And so it takes effort and we can change how we feel with a switch or with a seed. And so with a switch is like a drink, right? It's going to change it 20 minutes. You're going to feel a little bit better, but then it's going to switch right back off. It's going to go on and off. It's just like a switch and it's not going to sustain. And by the way, you're going to need to push that switch a lot more times because that's just the nature of switches, right? And so you can have those things where you do it, whether it's surfing Instagram or, you know, whatever, just getting really frustrated. It's a switch. It will make you feel physiologically better for a very short amount of time. But then the things that I think you're talking about, Ellie, are, are these seeds. And these are the things that over time we start them and they're not going to make us feel better in the very first instance. I remember the first time I tried to meditate, it made me feel worse. I mean, it was very frustrating experience. It was very much out of my comfort zone. It was very hard to watch or even close my eyes and go inward into a place where I thought, I, I literally imagined that in my brain, there were partitions, which I could just never go into. Because if I thought about those things, I would never come back, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was just like off a cliff. And so the idea of just closing my eyes and allowing my mind to wander inside myself was one of the most terrifying ideas, right? Exercise, I think, can be such a hard thing to get into because it brings up for us, why are we not doing it? Why do we care about ourselves? There's so much self-judgment. Mm -hmm. But the thing with seeds is the law of the harvest dictates that you plant something one day, you're not going to instantly see it spring up. There's not going to be a seedling. Like it's just not going to happen that way. You have to plant it and then water it and nurture it and make sure it gets nutrients and sun and, you know, all of the things it needs to grow. And then over time, you're going to see it grow. But the thing about seeds is that once you start with this journey with seeds, once you've 
you take away the switches. For me, alcohol was my big switch. I took away that switch. I enter this period of, of wild discomfort. And in fact, most of what we teach in coaching, I think is past the point of where you actually stop drinking. It's in navigating how to live awake, how to live awake when you've never really been taught to live awake, how to live awake in a society that's fed you this lie that you're supposed to feel good all the time, right? And so that's where the real work begins. And then you start planting seeds and some seeds work for you. Some seeds totally don't work for you. They're horrible. And you're like, that was not for me. I am not that person. I'm not going to do that exercise, whatever. And then other ones, and you just keep planting them. Then all of a sudden you find yourself under this big, huge shady tree that you're like reaping the benefits from. And you're like, wow, when did this happen? Well, it happened as a result of those seeds that you've been planting and watering and nurturing and just having faith that this is the right way. And then when the, when the benefits come, that's when you're, you know, where, where we all are and you're kind of like shouting it from the rooftops, like, what are we all doing? It's so much better over here. But you know, what can be neglected is that it does take time to get there. There is that law of the harvest. It doesn't happen overnight. It isn't a switch anymore. You're choosing intentionally to plant seeds instead of use switches. You've also spoken about the, the upgraded problems thing before, Annie. It's like at the beginning, it's like, you know, I, I can't stop drinking or there's this massive problem that's there um, and it's all we can see. And then, you know, we move through that and then it's like, who the bloody hell am I <laughs> without alcohol in my life? But that, you know, that is scary and amazing and beautiful, but it's also an upgraded problem. Um, and that's amazing. And, you know, what, what kind of problems do we want to have in life? The ones that are really deep and meaningful. And yeah, so like, I, I really hear that. I, I think when I first went on the journey, I was just like, yeah, to me, it was like, that's the only thing I could see. And then when you get to the other side, it's like the secret garden. It's like, oh, there's another thing and another thing and another thing. Um, yeah, and that's the promise. That's the leap of faith, I think. I always try and say to people, it's like, you you might not be able to see this right now. And you're going to have to like lean into that little bit of wisdom, that quiet voice that's telling you to jump. Because I promise you, it's amazing over here. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that so much of what we do um, with this naked mind methodology and with the coaching is to help people change toward pleasure rather than away from pain, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to paint this picture and show and demonstrate and have people experience in their own lives through many experiments, what, what could be. But humans actually change towards pleasure and away from pain. And both of them are really equally important. And I think where, you know, sometimes the rubber really hits the road when somebody is just saying like, I hear everything you're saying, I understand that there isn't really a benefit. I get that alcohol is making my anxiety worse. I understand that, you know, um, it doesn't actually work for longer than 20 minutes. I get it. And yet I'm still want to do it. And at that point, I think Sam, what you were saying is, is exactly right. It's about, okay, well, what problems do you really want? Because at the end of the day, and this is from Mark Manson, he yeah. says, everything is problems, you know, disappointment panda comes up and he says, everything is problems. <laughs> So you just have to come face to face with that and then decide, well, what problems do I want to have? What mm. problems am I going to use this consciousness to choose? Because we get to choose our problems. And am I going to choose the problem of living wildly outside my comfort zone, which by the way, doesn't always feel good. Or am I going to choose the problem of living numb and then feeling that regret of, of knowing that, you know, there's something else that I I could be doing or giving my life to, and I'm not because I'm choosing comfort over um, discomfort, right? And so 
which of those problems am I going to choose? And each of us has that choice. Each is with our lives, with our brains, with our consciousness, with our minds, we get to choose where do we want to live? What do we want to give our lives to? And we have to recognize that it's not going to be problem free (laughs) ever. Like it's going to be, it's going to ask a lot of us and that's okay. But we just, if we know that we're choosing it, that I think we have, you know, so much more agency in our own lives, so much more capacity to, to really make the decisions that we're going to be proud of at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. And one of the, um, one of the things that Sam and I were talking about that's kind of linked to this, uh, the, the point about consciousness and uh, more, more the collective is like getting connected with your own spirit and my own experience of that is that like I I know I was so disconnected from myself so massively disconnected from myself and over the last couple of years been alcohol free I've been able to access parts of me that I like I I I now recognize them but they were so so far away and I very much see it as linked not to, it's, it's not just myself, it's something much bigger. And we were really interested in your perspective on that, on that, that part, the, the link, the connectedness of ourself with others and this thing that's much bigger than all of us, the, um, us as one. What's your perspective on that, Annie? I think it's very, very much with that rhythm conversation of, you know, the song that's being sung, because while we each have our own beat or our own instrument or our own voice, there is a bigger voice. There is a melody to the whole thing, right? There is a rhythm to the whole thing. There's a way that things work. The sun rises, the sun sets. There's like a cadence to the season. And it's fascinating because that cadence can be seen in our own lives if we look at it, right? We can see that there's times in our lives when we're in a winter where everything feels hard and where things feel dead and hopeless and we feel completely under the snow, right? We feel as if like, what's even the point? And then there comes a spring where we start to come out of it and things start to thaw and possibilities awaken, but it's still not easy. It's still a lot of mud. But then we start to plant those seeds and we start to do that work. And then we go through the summer where we're nurturing those things and, you know, it's getting easier and it's getting light. And then we, we come into these autumns where all of a sudden the seeds that we've planted are, are reaping benefits and we're looking around our lives and we're like, wow, this is amazing. But guess what? Like that's all I am. So we can see those cadences in our face, in our relationship, in in our life world, right? Like you can see in the history of the world, there's so much of this seasonality, you know, arguably Mm -hmm. we're in a winter right now globally. And so um, the thing about winters is they create really strong people. And so they create people who are going to bring us out of the winter, right? And the things about summer and autumn is they actually create people who, you know, maybe don't have the strength or the capacity to, to, you know, almost predicate the winter, but that's kind of how evolution is. That's how growth is. And so we're so similar to everything that's, that's growing and everything that's changing around us in nature and our environment and in like the intangible and the spiritual realm too. And it's, it's just all there. And I think 
the journey is not so much of finding something as uncovering what's we've just hidden. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember being pregnant with my son, um, my eldest the first time I was pregnant and just really thinking like, wow, he is so much more connected to the unseen than I am. Like he's mm-hmm. part of the stars he's, you know, and, and, but he's in me and then he's going to be born and then he's going to get indoctrinated into everything that we're all indoctrinated into. And then hopefully he'll find his way back to himself. Um, not everybody does, not everybody does the work to find their way back to themselves. And then when we come back to ourselves, then we see, oh, well, all of this, you know, each of us and each other, that that was here all along too. I think that one of the most profound ways that I've seen that and I've realized that is that, you know, I was obviously completely alone and by myself when I wrote this Naked Mind. And I wrote it primarily for myself initially. And it was just like a collection of my journals. And the thing that I hadn't written was a preface. I really wanted a preface. I wanted something to introduce the entire idea. And I had, I had drafted so many things and they were like, they were all very logical, right? They were all very logical arguments of, of why things are how they are, or what society has been doing, or why I felt like I was duped, or, you know, these very logical arguments. And I kept reading them to, to my friends and just not, I mean, they were nice. They were like, yeah, that's cool. You know, but you just know that it's like not hitting that, that like, oh, like I get that, right? And then finally, I was up really late one night. We were actually visiting some friends. We were, they were staying in a loft. So it was us, our two kids at the time, our friends were all sleeping in this one room. It was overlooking LA. So it was like these floor to ceiling windows. And I just woke up and I couldn't sleep. So everybody's asleep. Everybody's in the same room with me. I go and I sit at my computer. I'm looking out over the this skyline. And I just wrote what it was like to wake up at three in the morning with the pit of anxiety in my stomach. I just wrote the deepest pain that I remember feeling when I was drinking. And I wrote three pages of that. And then when this naked mind was published, I have literally had thousands of people say, it was like you were in my head with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I think that's what I want to do. I think that in those moments where we feel most ashamed, most afraid, most alone, and we feel like it's only us, I want to be that little voice that says, Hey, like you're not alone in this. And, and if my words can do that, just had one more voice because with two voices with, with unity, there's hope, there's possibility. That's why people hire a coach. That's why we go into these relationships is because with two, there's possibility for change. We're not stuck. We can see perspectives that we couldn't have seen before. We can see outside of ourselves. And in, in that moment, I was like, wow, we are all living this same experience, but nobody is willing to talk about it. And then I remember I had people coming out of the woodwork, people who I thought were the ones egging me on to drink saying, wow, I'm so glad that you said something because we were just trying to keep up with you. And we were all living this duality of Mm. what we were really feeling and how we were experiencing each other and ourselves and what we were pretending we were feeling. (laughs) And then when one person went first to just say, hey, this sucks. (laughs) 
then everybody else is like, yeah, that's that it does suck. Right. And, and it's just so amazing how we are so incredibly similar, but we hide it because we are ashamed of the thing that makes us most human, which is, is our vulnerability and is our pain and is our uncertainty. And we try to pretend, especially for our kids, like we have it all together, which is just, I think the exact opposite way that our kids actually want to be, you know, treated. And that's a whole tangent, but I just, it, it's so amazing how connected we really are. And I think you feel that connection more than ever in those moments of vulnerability. And you know, when somebody does it for you, when someone speaks something you've been thinking or feeling, and you instantly feel that sense of, oh, I'm not alone in this. Mm. This is bigger than me. Connection is the most incredible catalyst for change. And I you say this all the time, Annie, like if, if you're out there looking for a coach or like, that's what you want to look for, like be a connoisseur of connection. That's what you're looking for. And uh, to me, there's no greater privilege than walking people home. Like it's, and when you realize that when you sit with someone and they're like, and they get that, like it's hard to find words for it, but you see that they found that space like before thought and before the story, that consciousness, all that stuff we've been talking about, that's almost impossible to talk about. When yeah. someone finds that space again, oh, that's, you know, that's, I think for all of us, that's, you know, why we do what we do. Um, yeah. Awesome. I love how you put that. And it reminds us of when we first saw it, because that's the thing is none of that is something we have to find outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We already, we already deeply divinely love ourselves. Like we can't help it. Like, that's just how we were created. Like, I think it's pretty laughable when people start to talk about being selfish. I'm like, how else is a self going to be right? Like <laughs> clearly we don't want to be like selfish at the expense of other people, but to assume that a human being cannot be, can be self without selfishness is, Mm. is ridiculous because we would obviously like if two kids were running in the street and one was ours, we would, we would go pick our kid. Like there's not any chance that we can be anything, but in these bodies at these moments. And so demonizing that I think is really destructive because then we think, well, the thing we have to do is actually turn off all those things that make ourselves a self where actually the work I think is just to lean into them and actually to turn off all the, all the conditioning that we've been told that the self that we are and that we were born with somehow was inadequate or not good enough. And, and that's just deconstruction of things that are between kind of you and you rather than going to find you or, or learn how to love yourself, because you don't have to learn this. You just have to get back in touch with it. And I think that those moments when we see them in other people, when we do that through coaching and coaching, by the way, it's like so powerful because when we're in the fishbowl, we can't even see that we're in the fishbowl, right? Like we, we don't have any perspective, but what's happening in our own head and 80 to 90% of what we think today is what we thought yesterday. So in order to even have a new perspective, we have to let someone else in to show us like to hold up a mirror and to help us to see much more clearly the places that we haven't been able to see clearly. And I think when that happens, we have the experience of when it happened for us for the first time and being like, oh, okay, there is possibility here. You know, there is hope here. And actually it does just all feel so good because like you said, Sam, it's like walking somebody home. It's like coming home and, you know, just getting back in touch. And, and it's something that I think is almost impossible when you are on a daily basis numbing the parts of you that are trying to be heard. Yeah. 
I, I hear you on that. And, and I think so many of us, we're, we're always looking for the next thing to fix ourselves and the assumption that we're broken. And, and ultimately this journey, and, you know, me and Ellie talk about the yogic path so much and like, you know, peeling back the layers of the onion and the subtractive element of this, not just like in a positive way though, peeling yeah. back the layers of the, of the onion to the place where we're all, where we have this wellness of like compassion and self-love. And, and I think that is, you know, the kind of that consciousness piece and everything it depends how you want to frame it. But once you find that well of well-being and wellness, you realize, well, whoa, it was there all along. <laughs> I've just been covering it up with thinking the whole time. Yeah. So true. Amazing. This is so wonderful, Annie. Thank yeah, you so amazing. much. You're a superstar. It's just it's so wonderful to, you know, we're, we're very lucky in that we get to see you pretty much every week in the mastermind but um it's you know and, and people hear a lot about this naked mind through us and through this podcast but it's just it's so wonderful to have you here in person and to hear um your own perspective on things it's um and to have a bit of a different conversation too so thank you yeah. so much we really well, thank appreciate you for it. having me it's really been fun i've enjoyed every minute of it Listening back to today's episode was so much fun. What a wonderful conversation and just such an amazing reminder of how just practicing being the person that we we want to be is so powerful. And actually, it doesn't always come naturally. And the people that make it look natural, they are the people that have uh, continued to build, you know, abundance or positivity and uh, just a lovely reminder of that. And there's so much joy in that. And there's so much joy in that work. And um you know, I think when we're surrounded by inspirational people like Annie who are bringing things into the world like this Naked Mind, it just makes that just so much easier. So, you know, we're so grateful that uh, she came on the podcast and that she's doing the work she's doing. So thanks, Annie, if you're tuning into this. And, uh, you know, beyond that, like I said before, make sure you come and check out the live alcohol experiment. It's just about to launch and uh, an amazing place to come and see both me and Ellie coaching in it. Um, and also, you know, just, just feel the energy of what it is that, that Annie has uh, created. So... If you're listening to this just before New Year, a very, very happy New Year. See you in 2022. How on earth has that happened? It's madness. But um, it's been a mad few years and uh, hopefully this next year is going to be one full of uh, love and light for, for many of us. But see you soon.